Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 then returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise, Lord, being reminded this morning that it is your loving kindness that returns our hearts to you. Lord, it's by your grace that we can know you and know life in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, as we... Um, hear from your word this morning. We just pray that you would remind us of that, of your great love for us in Christ. And Lord, that you would continue to shape us in his likeness to be your witness in the world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Well, again, good morning. It's uh, great to be together this morning. I am uh, really excited uh, about where we are in the life of our church. I'm excited uh, because we're really entering into a new year together, a new season of ministry. Um, this week, we'll start a two-part series um, on evangelism. And then at the end of the month, we're going to turn and jump into the book of Acts and really look at Acts and the Holy Spirit. And so I'm excited uh, about what the Lord is going to do uh, as we do that. We dive into his word together. And we're going to let that take us all the way up through Advent. And then we'll take a break uh, from that during Advent and Christmas. And then we'll come back to Acts in the new year. So we're going we're to camp out there in Acts for a while. And I'm really excited to see how the Lord's going to be at work in that. Uh, but this morning, we want to uh, focus our attention on evangelism. Uh, and I'm curious, even when I say the word evangelism, um, what you feel when you hear that word. Um, my guess is there is a whole host of kind of feelings in people's guts when I say evangelism. Um, some of you may hear the word and you may be curious. You know, oh, you know, I'm not sure I know exactly what that is. I would love to kind of get a better handle on what evangelism actually is. 
I'm willing to bet, too, that many of you um, would kind of be foggy about what exactly is evangelism and what does it have to do with my walk with the Lord. And then some of us, I think, honestly, uh, we probably feel uncomfortable with the word. Uh, there's a, a level of anxiety that kind of wells up within us about this idea of evangelism. And in fact, some of us may even feel a, a tinge of guilt when we say the word evangelism. And so this morning, I, I, I want to kind of deal with that reality. Um, because I think that reflects something uh, that's happened in the church. And, and what I would say is what's happened in the church is we, we've experienced a, a crisis in evangelism or an evangelistic crisis in, in the church today. Um, and I think there are a lot of causes for that. Um, those feelings that we feel, uh, I think they come from a lot of different reasons, a lot of different sources. For example, I think one of the reasons we kind of feel the way we feel probably about evangelism is that there's an increasing amount of social pressure on us as followers of Jesus in our culture. Our culture is rapidly becoming post-Christian and consequently is more hostile um, to the church. The church is being marginalized in an increasingly secular society. Uh, our beliefs are not seen as benign or even irrelevant. They're actually beginning to be seen as regressive. Um, people see our beliefs as toxic and even dangerous in culture if we are followers of Jesus. And so there's this social pressure. Sometimes we even feel maybe this public shaming related to our faith. And so we're, we're pushed in the direction to just keep our beliefs to ourselves. So there's that dynamic. I think some of us have some baggage, honestly, when it comes to evangelism. Maybe you grew up in a tradition and experience where evangelism actually it was not a good thing. It was actually a very hurtful thing. I think some of us have experienced um, things through evangelism or we've seen ways of doing evangelism that honestly uh, seem forced and uncaring, that seem inauthentic, uh, that strike us as even coercive or abusive. And so I think there's a part of us that just says evangelism, if that's evangelism, I don't want anything to do with that. And so I think that's part of it. I think um, there's a, a, something a pastor, a friend of mine calls the Billy Graham effect at work among us. And, and what he means by that is, you know, Billy Graham was this incredible evangelist. And men and women like Billy Graham ha, have kind of done this way of evangelism that we look at and we see this incredible response. I mean, it's just amazing. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have been invited to follow Jesus through ministries like that of Billy Graham. And so we look at that and we go, so that's evangelism and I can never be a Billy Graham. <laughs> I mean, raise your hand if you think you're the next Billy Graham, right? None of us. We kind of look at that. We're like, okay, so that's not for me. That's not, that's not my role. Um, so I'll let the experts do it, or, or I'll let the extroverts do it. I immediately thought of Billy Waring on this. I don't think he's here today. But, you know, Billy never met a stranger. You know, like, well, let's let people who are extroverted like that be the evangelist. Or let's let the experts evan or the, uh, the, the folks who are hired, employed to do this kind of stuff. Let's let the pastor be the one who does the evangelism. All, all, I just need to get him in front of my pastor, and he'll tell him about Jesus, right? And so we have these, these ideas uh, about who's really responsible for evangelism. And then the last thing I think that's at work in this, in this crisis with evangelism is, is that there's a hunger in the church, I think, for more. You know, there, there's been a whole movement over the last uh, few decades, and, and there's all kinds of labels for it. The seeker-sensitive movement, the church growth movement, there's been this emergent church movement. And if th those tags don't mean anything to you. Basically, there's been a move in the church, and it was, it was a right impulse. It was to ask, how do we engage the culture more effectively to expose them to the gospel and invite them into life with Jesus? And the emphasis became on conversion and salvation. 
And I think the pendulum is swinging now. I think there's been a response to that because I think some of us have looked at that and said, yeah, God did some amazing things in that, but there's been a lot of things that were lost along the way in that pursuit and in that way of thinking about the church. For example, we've lost this kind of uh, fullness of life and ministry in the spirit. Many churches have. Many churches have, have kind of lost and are hungry for rich theology and deep biblical teaching, real authentic community. There's this hunger for all these things, tradition. You know, as Anglicans, we have this rich tradition that we can draw from. And I think there's a desire and there's a pendulum swing kind of back in the direction of some of these things. And, and I, I think it's important to recognize that dynamic because what we don't want to happen is as that pendulum swings is that we lose we lose the priority and the place of evangelism in the life of the church. And so I think all these things are, are part of the puzzle. And for all these reasons and others, we have a, a crisis when it comes to evangelism in the church. And so the question is, well, what's the way forward? What's the way forward for us when it comes to evangelism? How do we go from here when it comes from, to evangelism? And so this week uh, and next week, what I want to do is really kind of tackle uh, two questions related to that. And the first one is, why evangelism? And so we'll look at that this morning. And then the, the second one is, how do we do evangelism? We'll talk about that next week. How do we do uh, evangelism in a way that's not weird or creepy or doesn't cost you all of your friends, right? That's, y'all want that? Y'all want that way of evangelism? I want that way of evangelism. So how do we do evangelism uh, in a way that really is loving and engaging and really is giving us the opportunity to share the most incredible thing in our lives, which is Jesus. So we're going to talk about that next week. I want to encourage you to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Uh, there's Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. So if you uh, need to grab one of those, go for it. Grab one. Or if you want to pull it up on your Bible app, you can do that on your phone. Luke chapter 10, which is what we just read a few minutes ago. So I'm not going to reread it. But we, we're looking at Luke 10 uh, because Jesus sends out these 72 uh, these 72 followers, and um, there's significance to that number. It kind of connects back to this Old Testament teaching on how many nations there were in the world. And so Jesus is picking up on that, and there's this idea that he's sending out to reach the world. That's the symbolism of the number. There were 72 known nations, the table of nations. So this 72, that's where that number comes from. But really the importance here is that Jesus, he, he pulls up this 72 who have been following him, part of the crowd following him, and he sends them out. And what does he send them out to do? He sends them out to tell others about Jesus, right? To tell them about the kingdom has come near and, and to tell them about Jesus, this new king who's on the scene. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage and simply highlight five whys for evangelism. Remember, that's our question, five whys. Why do evangelism? And the first is this, that evangelism is God's priority. Evangelism is God's priority. So Jesus said in verse 2 that the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus said to his followers, look, you guys look out and you see a crowd of people here. And I want to tell you, I see a harvest. I see a harvest. Jesus' passion, in other words, was to seek and to save the lost. His ambition, his joy was to find those that didn't know him and to invite them to come home, to come home to the Father. That was the heartbeat of Jesus behind all of his ministry. Think about the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. She was at the heart of the mission of Jesus. 
to seek and save the lost, to invite others into this mission is also part of the deal. We've talked about this before, this invitation, follow me. With that comes this invitation to come and I will make you what? Fishers of men, Jesus says. So Jesus, from the beginning, he says, come, I want you to join me in this, this mission. My mission is to seek and save the lost. And he says, I want you to come and be a part of this mission. Join this mission with me. And so God is a God who relentlessly pursues those who are far from him. And Jesus, in his, in his work, in his ministry, in his life, he reflects that heartbeat of God. And so we have to be careful, I think, in these challenging times, really not to lose that priority of God, to hold on to it, to not lose the heart of God for those who don't know him. And we have to be careful because there's pressure to let go. Social pressure is to let go of that. Just, just do the other things, but don't tell anybody about it. To hold on uh, to the spirit-filled worship and the ministry and the practices of Jesus and the authentic Christian community and the rich tradition and the deep biblical teaching and preaching. Hold on to those things, but don't do it at the cost of evangelism. And so we want to be a community marked by all those things. And there, there are churches that, that kind of focus and do some of those things better, but we, we want to be a church that, that actually is the full expression of the church and sees all those things at work in our life and in our community. And so the question is, how do you do that, right? How do you do Because there's some tensions there, right? There's some tensions that exist. Like how do we kind of be that community and yet be a place where, man, we can invite and, and, and bring our friends that, that maybe are far from God or not sure what they believe about Jesus, and they feel welcome, they feel comfortable. I mean, for me, it's always a challenge to think, how do I preach a sermon that explores the deep things of Scripture and the kingdom and yet recognizes that there are people in the room who may not even know what they believe about Jesus? And so there's this tension. There's this reality of how, how do you do all of this effectively together in community? And this is one of the reasons I'm really excited about Alpha. You know, because I think Alpha creates this opportunity for us to kind of express this missional impulse. And it takes some of the pressure off some of the other places in our community for our, our Sunday gathering and for life group. In other words, that we want those to be places that everyone comes, but they don't have to be everything to everyone. And one of the beautiful things about Alpha is that it reflects the way that Jesus did ministry. Jesus, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed, he talked about the kingdom and life with him in different ways when he was with different people. He talked about it differently when he was with the crowds versus with his disciples. He talked about it differently when he was with people who were far from God, who were, who were not religious, and people who were very religious. And so the way he communicated was different depending on who he was talking to. And so the, the great thing about Alpha is it provides this opportunity for us to do that. It creates space that's perfect for those who are, who are investigating, who are questioning, who are, who are curious about Jesus and wanting to figure out where are where am I on my spiritual journey? And so we have this space to do that with something like an alpha. But the point is this, that we don't want to lose sight, right? We don't want to lose sight of God's missional priority, his heart for the lost, the heart of Jesus. It's to be our heart, the heart of the church. And so we want to hold on to that priority, that that's God's priority. The second why of evangelism is this, that we do evangelism uh, to love others, we do it out of a love for other people. If we really understand and have experienced Jesus in his heart, then the truth is that we will feel compelled. We will long to share what we know and what we have 
We'll be personally convinced that God loves us and we've experienced the fullness of that love and we'll want to share it with other people, right? That's the impulse here. Um, Michael Green, is uh, he's a British pastor. He's an Anglican. He was actually the pastor at the church uh, where I was before I came to Apostles in uh, Raleigh at Holy Trinity. And he was there. We didn't cross um, overlap, cross paths. But I heard this story about Michael because he was uh, uh, one of the, probably one of the greatest evangelists, just gifted evangelists of the last hundred years. And um, really, as uh, I was listening to the story, it just struck me um, because what happened was he was uh, apparently at a debate at UNC Chapel Hill with an atheist. And it came to the point where they were uh, allowing questions from the audience. And this woman uh, basically stood up and grabbed the microphone, and she literally said uh, to Michael, she said, why can't you just shut up and keep what you believe to yourself? Why do you have to keep talking about it with other people? And apparently Michael, in a very calm and generous way, I think responded, I only tell people about Jesus because it is such good news. I tell people about Jesus because it is good news, he said. And that's evangelism. I mean, it's where the word comes from, from this Greek word, euangelion. It means to proclaim good news. Jesus said to his disciples in verse 5 here, when you enter someone's house, first say to them, peace to this house. That's good news. Peace to this house is good news. We are the bearers of God's peace in our world. We are to bring the fullness and the wholeness and the restoration of all things and this shalom that comes with his kingdom. And Jesus went on to tell them, he said, when you go into a town, I want you to heal the sick. And I want you to tell them that the kingdom has come near to them. That's good news. That's good news. Jesus' kingdom is marked by healing and deliverance from evil and from sin. This is good news for people. And so that's why he told them to go and share it. From Jesus' perspective, you see, he's come to a world that's broken and desperately in need of help. And I think we agree. We agree. We know that by our own experience, that that's true of, of our world. We know that's true of our city, even our, our own lives, that we live in a, in a world where People are full of, of anxiety and brokenness and hurt and confusion and loneliness. This is, this is the human experience. And we, we bump into this in our city all the time, don't we? I mean, I, <clears throat> I went to the zoo uh, with my kids this past spring. Um, and um, <clears throat> bad idea on a Saturday. But we went anyway. And we were trying to find a spot in the parking lot. And it was near impossible. There was no spots. And so we circled for about five minutes looking for a spot. And we finally found uh, somebody who would, you know, you, ah, there's the brake lights. Are they pulling in or out? Out. Okay, they're coming out. You swoop in. You try to get in line and get the spot. And so we're sitting there, and it's kind of on a corner. And so as the guy pulls out, I start to pull in. And clearly someone on the other side of the row that I couldn't see. Now, I promise, I didn't do it on purpose. I wasn't trying to take this guy's spot on purpose. It was an accident, okay? So I pull in, and this guy swoops in to the spot. And as he swooped in, he laid into me with this tirade of explicatives and obscenities that I have never heard before. He was just yelling at me because he was convinced I was trying to do what? Steal his spot, right? Steal. So this was his response over a parking, a parking spot. And I'm sitting there with my kids, and I look over, and I'm, I assume it was his wife or girlfriend. She's sitting there like this the whole time he's just laying into me and so I just waved and kind of went on but literally it was over a parking place and all this stuff 
came flying out, came flying out of him because it's all right there under the surface. And we constantly bump into people throughout the courses of our day who are hurting, who are anxious, who are lonely. And what the deal is, is that they're out there and they're trying to figure out where to find what it is they need. They're trying to figure out where can they find, you know, kind of what will help them in their brokenness, what will respond to their need. And ultimately, nothing is ever enough. And so they just, it just spills out. It just spills out all over the city, all over our lives, all this stuff. There's a great quote from a, a theologian named Herman Bavink, and he wrote this. He said, the more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our lives become. With all its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to fill it. Jesus is basically saying, look, telling others is good news for people because what it means for them is they can stop looking in all the wrong places for what they really long for and were made for. They can know peace, real peace. They can know healing, true healing. And so it's good news. And so when we find that peace, we find that healing, how could we keep it to ourselves? How could we not share it with those around us and we see and we, we see their need, their need for Jesus? And so we're gonna talk next week about if we really love people, how do we do that? What does that look like in the context of our everyday lives to actually share and tell others about Jesus? Um, third why, here's the third why. Because we're in a battle. This is a battle in which we're engaged. There's no way getting around it. Jesus makes this point. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. He goes on in verse 17 to say that the disciples, when they returned with joy, they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus tells them, yes, that's right, because I have given you authority over the enemy. So two realities that Jesus highlights here. One, not everyone will receive the message. Not everyone will receive it. Some people will reject the good news. And then the second is this, that we have a spiritual enemy opposing us. We have opposition. That's why it feels hard sometimes when we want to share the good news with other people. It feels difficult. We have this spiritual enemy. We have spiritual beings and forces that stand in opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. And that's why when we kind of get in our little holy huddle, like when we just kind of make it all kind of about us and we kind of get safe and comfortable, that's why the enemy doesn't care. The enemy doesn't bother with us then because we're not doing anything that makes any difference in the world in terms of the mission. But when we engage in the mission of Jesus, when we begin to step into this, we will face that opposition. We will face the enemy. And there's two things I think that really help us in this regard that Jesus makes us aware of here. First of all, Jesus says that when they reject you, they're rejecting me, is what he said. In other words, the results here are not up to us. The results are up to the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God. It's not our responsibility, it's the Holy Spirit. And that's important for us to remember when we're telling others about Jesus because the danger is that we begin to think it's up to us. It's our responsibility for people to accept the message. 
right? And when we do that, it's dangerous because we can become disingenuous or manipulative. That's when we, we can be tempted to change and alter the, the message itself so it's more palpable and easier for people to swallow. We can do things where we start to think, man, if we can just get people to a certain emotional experience, if they can just have that really intense moment, then they'll kind of receive Jesus. And we do all those things instead of recognizing, man, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring people to the foot of the cross and transform their lives. That is the work of the Spirit, not our work. And so our responsibility is to proclaim Jesus. The Spirit does the rest. So I think that's important for us to remember as we engage in this battle. And then second, it helps us because it means that we have a spiritual enemy. We know we have a spiritual enemy. And it means that evangelism really begins not with telling people about Jesus, but with prayer. Evangelism begins with prayer. It's praying with confidence that there is no darkness, no stronghold, no brokenness beyond God's ability to overcome. And so we pray for his kingdom to come. We pray that every Sunday. We should be praying that every day. Lord, your kingdom come. You are the king who has defeated all enemies, knocked down all obstacles. And so we pray to this Jesus who brings light into the darkness and life into death. And he brings all this. And so we can pray. We can pray with confidence and faith in the power of the risen Jesus who loves our neighbors, loves our city, loves our world, and has the power to actually change it. He has the power to change it. And so we pray. Lord, your kingdom come. And so we pray that uh, as we step into this endeavor of evangelism. So that's the third. Fourth why is this. We tell others about Jesus because it's life-giving. It's life-giving. We tell others about Jesus because it is life-giving. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned with what? They returned with what? Sadness? Great sadness. They were very sad. They returned with what? Joy. There was joy, immense joy upon their return. And so they explain, you know, what's happened, and they're sharing all this with Jesus. Can you imagine being able to be there for that conversation? As they're explaining, you sent us out in power and authority, and we saw these amazing things, and look what happened. And so it, it did something. They, they set out in faith and obedience, but I'm sure with some level of fear and uncertainty, and they returned with joy. I would dare say most of us don't immediately equate evangelism with joy, right? Usually for us, it's not a joyful endeavor, I think, for most of us. It's something that it's a burden. Where it's intimidating. It's anxiety-ridden. And I think part of that is because when we think about the Christian life, we tend to kind of compartmentalize or categorize our spiritual life in two categories. One of those categories is life-giving, all the things that kind of fill us up, like worship and time with the Lord and, and gathering at the table for communion and, and spending time in his word. All these things that kind of fill us up. We, you even hear people talk this way. I'm looking for a church, right? We say, that. I'm looking for a church where I can get fed, right? Where I can get filled up. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we focus so much on the, the filling up piece. And then we have all the other parts, you know, of, of the spiritual life, which are, you know, kind of life draining, <laughs> Right? They're life-draining things like serving and giving and evangelism, right? That just kind of seem to take and require lots of effort and lots of energy and lots of effort. And I think that's a, a problematic paradigm. You know, I think the problem with that is that Jesus actually says the opposite is true. The opposite reality is true. That Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. Jesus says, don't live for yourself, live for me. 
And he says, if you want to live for me, then you have to give. The MO in the kingdom is to give and give and give because that's what God's done for us. And so he warns us against kind of a spiritual gluttony of just taking in and taking in and taking in. Because if you really want to receive more, you have to give. And you have to give it away. And so the encouragement here is when it comes to evangelism, exercise your faith. Step out. Take action. Because that's how you experience the fullness of life in Jesus. The life that you're really longing for and hungry for. And that's where the joy is. That is what is life-giving. And then the fifth why is this. Because evangelism is discipleship. Evangelism is discipleship. I think we have this false dichotomy. Uh, We think of evangelism and discipleship as two very separate and distinct things. And the reality is that the two are very much inseparable. We become who we are as followers of Jesus when we join him in his mission, not apart from it. And so Jesus invites us into this life with him and to join him in what he's doing around us. And that's where we grow. Right? That's where we grow, when we step into the mission that Jesus is inviting us. It's like a greenhouse where we can kind of begin to really experience the fullness of life in him and grow in him. And Jesus demonstrates that here in um, Luke chapter 10. He uses this moment to teach them. Look at verse 20. He says, it's really interesting. He says, don't rejoice that evil spirits obey you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Interesting that Jesus both kind of encourages them and then he rebukes them. (laughs) Boom, boom. Back to back, right? And so he kind of lays this out for them because he's challenging what? He's challenging their motives. He's dealing with their heart motive because he says, look, you're most excited about what you did. And what I want you to understand, this is not about what you can do. This is not about what you can do. This is not about all the ecstatic experiences that that you saw and the signs and the miracles. It's about the people. That's his point. It's about the people. All those things, ultimately, those expressions of the kingdom and the work of the Spirit, it's the people. It's the heart of God for the people. And it's about my kingdom coming into the world, the salvation, the victory, the restoration, the life that comes in the name of Jesus. That's what all this is about. It's not about doing amazing, powerful things. You see, Jesus was taking this as an opportunity to kind of step back with them and disciple them on the go. It's a way to think about it. It was discipleship on the go. Jesus didn't train them in a vacuum, right? He didn't, he didn't gather a group of people and say, you know what, we're going to go off on this high mountain and we're going to spend the next two to three years just being trained in the ways of the Spirit. No, he said, follow me. And then they started to follow him. And he said, See, watch what I do. And he showed them. And then he sent them and said, I want you to do these things. And they did it in the midst of life. They did it in the midst of real relationship and all the messy and broken aspects of the world. They did it in real life. That's why we talk about our life together the way we do, that we're, we're called to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did because that's the model that God gave us in Jesus. If you want to grow in your faith, in other words, if you want to go deeper in the things of the kingdom and the way of life of Jesus, the way to do that is to step out and to take action and to trust him and follow him. Evangelism and discipleship are the same in that sense. They go together. They're inseparable. So just to review, why do evangelism? First, it's God's priority. It's his heart. Uh, Second, we do evangelism. We tell others about Jesus because it's the most loving thing that we could ever do for other people in our life. 
Third, we tell others knowing that we're in the midst of a battle and we need to pray and be prepared for real spiritual opposition. Fourth, we do evangelism because we um, want to experience the fullness of life and the joy that Jesus offers. And then finally, we tell others because it's part of our mission as followers of Jesus, as disciples, and it's how we grow. So this is God's heart. This is the why of evangelism. And so really what I just want us to take, if nothing else from from this passage, is that's God's heart. And if we as a community want to be followers of Jesus, we long to have God's heart. And so we want to ask God, give us that heart. Give us your heart for people that we might be moved to tell them this good news about Jesus. How do we do that? How do we tell them about Jesus? That's what we're going to hit on next week. Um, And so I want to give you a little homework just in the lead up to next week. So if you want to jot this down or make a mental note, um, here's your homework. I want you to do two things. First, I want you to um, think of five names of people in your life that, as far as you know, they, they don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with him. Think of five people in your life that don't know Jesus and commit to pray for them. And pray, just pray. There's no other agenda here. Just pray for them, for blessing in their life, for healing, for peace. If there's a need you're aware of in their life, pray for that. God wants to bless people. He wants to to draw them, as we heard from Titus, with his kindness. His mercy is how he invites us into this life with Jesus. So pray, pray for their marriages, pray for their relationships, pray for their children. Pray that they would know God's love for them. Pray. No other agenda, just pray for them. And then the second thing is this, love them. Love those five people really well. Again, no agenda. Not so you can invite them to blank, (laughs) right? Not so you can kind of get to the point where you can say all the things that you want to say. Love them. Just love them. Get to know them. Care for them. And not in some creepy way. You know, don't, don't kind of hover on their doorstep, you know, with a casserole or something. Like, just, just love them in simple, practical ways. Right? Love them and show them the love of Christ. So you can do that in all kinds of ways. Maybe it's as simple as just saying hello when you walk past their house. I, there are so many people. I'm just guilty of this. We all are. I walk past their house, and, and I, I, I don't say anything. They're right there on their doorstep. They're busy. I'm busy. I'm thinking about other things. Just say, hey, maybe that's where you start. Maybe it's someone you've got a sort of relationship. You invite them over for dinner at your house. Maybe you've got an extra ticket to the game. Invite them to go with you. Find a way to get to know them and to love them and basically share life with them. Again, with no agenda, just love them. So that's your homework, those two things. Pray for these five people and love these five people. Good? We got our homework? Okay, good. There's gonna be a test. I'm just kidding, there's no test. But I do want us to take this seriously. I want us to pray for people and love people because that's God's heart. So let's pray for those people. I just want to encourage you to close your eyes. I want you to think of those five people in your life. I want you just to take a few moments and just pray for them right now. Just pray over the five folks in your life that you long for them to know Jesus. And just pray the Lord's blessing on them.
Father, if we know you today, if we know your incredible love for us and the life that you've offered us in Jesus, the fullness of life in your spirit, it's because someone told us about Jesus at some point. Maybe it was our parents, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a pastor. Whoever it was, someone loved us enough to tell us about Jesus. And so Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for that gift that you put someone in our life that loved us enough to do that. And Lord, we, we wanna be people who love others in our life enough to do that. And so Lord, would you just free us from, from any past wounds, from any, um, or just anything that would just be weighted with a tinge of guilt or shame about this area. Lord, we want, we want to love people because you love them. And we want to love them as you love them. And so, Lord, would you just free us, maybe, maybe free our hearts, free our tongues, whatever it is, Lord, that you would just open the way for us to be people that tell others about Jesus. And, Lord, help us as we kind of press into this this next week to learn how to do that how to do that in a way that not only communicates a message of love, but Lord, that, that does it in a loving way. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the life we have in him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.